Hi, this is Rita Hogan, and welcome to the Dogs Are Individuals podcast. I'm a clinical canine herbalist, and I've been practicing for over 20 years. This podcast is all about your dog through an herbal lens. So let's get to it and dive right in. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? I hope you're doing wonderful. I hope you're having a great day. This is Rita Hogan. I am here to talk today about a question that was written into the podcast. And I thought, hey, let's do an episode about the subject. It's puking yellow bile. We're going to talk about that. Not you, your dogs. First, I want to thank my sponsor, Adored Beast Apothecary, for their wonderful sponsorship of this podcast, making sure that I can bring it to you guys every week. One of the products that I want to like recommend is their product called Rebalancer. I carry it in my website, canineherbalist.com, and you can also get it at adoredbeast.com and other places on the internet. Rebalancer is wonderful after your dog has had a vaccine. Now, this does not take the vaccine away from the body, but it helps dogs get over some of the symptoms they have from getting vaccines. So it assists in the removal of side effects without removing any of the vaccine benefits. So check that out. I highly recommend it. Uh, If your dog has been vaccinated, um, please use Rebalancer. It's a mixture of homeopathic Thuya and Silesia. Love, 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 love this remedy. And it's safe for puppies and kittens. Love it. So thank you, Adored Beast Apothecary. Okay, let's talk about puking yellow bile. It's not fun. But here's the thing. Dogs vomit. And it's gross, but they do. They vomit a lot easier than we do. The most common form of dog vomiting, yellow bile. It's called a bile reflux. And it's yellow. It's green. And it usually doesn't smell. Uh, Normally, it does not smell. And it really, it can have different consistencies. Some can be gooey. Some can be like full of mucus, which is really hard to pick up. And some can be completely benign and just kind of foamy. Bile comes from the gallbladder. And bile is really important to your dog because it helps break down fats and oils. And uh, a while back, I don't even know how long, I wrote a really great article for Dogs Naturally Magazine on puking up bile. You can check that out. All you have to do is go to Dogs Naturally Magazine and click in, put in bile, and that one should come up. It's definitely, I think it's called yellow bile or something like that. We'll put we'll put the article in the show notes. Anyways, bile is important. It has a lot of different um, functions in the body, but digesting fats and oils are is definitely one of the main ones. It's alkaline, so... It helps neutralize a lot of acidic stomach situations that happen. So that's important. And it helps protect your dog's stomach lining. So it works with the like small intestine to help make sure that fats are being absorbed. I'm not going to get into all of that, but let's talk about, you know, why does this happen, Rita? What is happening? And that was the question that was written in. So why is my dog vomiting yellow bile? And empty stomach is like a big one. So a lot of my clients will tell me, hey, my dog's puking in the morning. I'm not sure what to do with it. Give them a snack before bedtime. 
just give them a small snack and you'd have to figure out, you kind of have to work with it and figure out like how big of the snack needs to be, but give them a snack before bedtime. And it usually, they usually stop puking yellow bile because lack of like food can cause bile to like, it, it causes it to accumulate and then it can irritate your dog's stomach lining. So, you know, some dogs, especially dogs that eat one time a day, they tend to puke bile. Some dogs that just need a little more tend to puke bile. And so if you see your dog vomiting bile, you know, sometimes at night, sometimes in the morning, work with snacks that will ease that. Or you can feed smaller meals. But I liked, I noticed that feeding a snack really kind of nips that in the bud. So you can also, I mean, there's other reasons too. And bile vomiting can be a kind of a side effect of a lot of pharmaceutical medicines. Poor diet, for sure. Diets that are really high in kind of like rancid fats. A lot of like poor kibble diets can cause that. A lot of bile puking there. Um, NSAIDs, different antibiotics, uh, other types of drugs, seizure meds can cause puking of yellow bile. So kind of assess what you're giving your dog in general. And then like stress and environmental toxins, you know. So when your dog's doing weird things and constantly puking up yellow bile, uh, you know, once a month, I wouldn't be too concerned. But consistently, we definitely need to figure this out. And you kind of want to do like an overall assessment. Kind of see, have we added anything new? Are they on any pharmaceuticals? You know, if your dog's are on pharmaceuticals, you need to look those drugs up and get a list and keep that list of side effects of those drugs. Because sometimes we forget, especially if our dog's been on those pills for a while, we forget that they do have side effects and digestive upset is one of their main side effects of so many dog-related pharmaceuticals. Then we have things like leaky gut and that can lead to like food intolerances and different types of sensitivities that could have an effect on the gallbladder and liver and cause bile puking. It's not the norm, but don't, you know, I wouldn't rule that out when you're doing your kind of like your assessment. Um, There are other things that are much more serious like cancer or autoimmune disease that can be, you know, one of the reasons, but that's kind of slim. So I would look for the more obvious reasons, which is feed a snack, see if it goes away. If the snack doesn't work, feed a larger snack, see if it goes away. You don't want to feed a meal before they go to bed. And so if the snack isn't working, then get some assistance and see how that goes. Inflammation in the gut. So we were, I was just talking about marshmallow root on one of my shorts for next week. And Marshmallow root is something that can help your dog when they uh, their stomach has a lot of heat or inflammation. So you could do marshmallow root. You could also do meadowsweet. Meadowsweet is a pain reliever in the gut. It helps for as, too much acidity, too much overreactivity. I like to use a infusion of meadowsweet poured over the food. You can use it in a capsule, but I definitely would use an infusion for this type of situation. You can use a tincture too. I use about one to two drops for every 10 pounds in this situation. I already mentioned marshmallow root. Again, I would use an infusion. You can use capsules if you have to, but an infusion is better. 
like an antispasmodic is also nice for this and chamomile is good. Chamomile's effect on the stomach is not accumulative, but it definitely can help on a day-to-day basis. I like to use an infusion as well, put it over the food. You could give your dog a little bit of chamomile tea before they go to bed to help with any kind of spasm or soothing the stomach. It's basically like a half a teaspoon to one teaspoon for extra small dogs like a chihuahua. Like I would say two to three teaspoons for a small dog, one to two tablespoons for a large dog and three, it could be like three to five tablespoons for an extra large dog, like a Newfie or a a St. Bernard or, you know, something very large. Irish Wolfhound. Those are one of my favorite extra large dogs. Those are like foods. You want to cut those cut those dosages kind of in half if you're going to give it to them before bed. If your dog, if the at-home treatments are not working for your dog, I would bring them into the vet because they could have some type of issue that's much more severe and you want to find out like if it's normal and it's not normal. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you for writing in to the podcast and asking that question. I wanted to get that out of the way. Our next subject involves another question that was written into the podcast. This one is by Lori. Lori asks, can you tell me a few things about the history of herbalism, how you got started, and how do I understand herbs holistically? Wow, that's a big question, Lori. And if you want to figure out, if you want to find out how I got started, you can listen to the first episode of this podcast. It will give you a complete history of me. But I have been doing this for uh, a little over 20 years in different formats, in different ways. I started out making a lot of remedies for um, rescue dogs and then kind of moved into clients and and it just kind of grew from there. And in the last 10 years, I've really been working, you know, in clinic um, multiple days a week from morning till night, you know, working with clients and trying to give them herbal support protocols for their dogs. And I also work with people. So, but, you know, how herbalism got started, we've been using herbs for a millennia. So, you know, I was just discussing with a friend yesterday, we were having breakfast and we were talking about my father and people just knew how to use plants a long time ago. You know, you're my, my, I'm, I'm 51 and my grandmother knew how to use herbs. My father knew how to, knew how to use herbs. People were much more in touch with nature because they depended on it so much. Now we're so detached from nature, and I think we're seeing the repercussions of that. You know, in the United States, we spend more money on healthcare than any other country in the world, and we are, I think, we're the sickest. Don't quote me on that, but I think we come in first. I'm not positive. I'll check on that and get back to you, but I we're definitely in the top three. And how can that be, right? Like, how can we be so sick and spend so much money on medical care? I've got my theories, but I'm going to keep those to myself right now. However, let's talk about understanding herbs holistically. I definitely can answer that question. And in order to understand herbs holistically, you have to look at the history of kind of the medical system and 
the comprehensive understanding of how we go to, like, like how did we get to where we are today? And we can look at, a you know, depending on the subject, I'm talking about kind of Western herbalism, which in, is what I practice. And understanding different parts of history will kind of help us keep holistic herbal medicine kind of plant-based versus constituent-based. And focusing on just the active constituents is very pharmaceutical-based. Plants have like a ton of constituents that work together for the common goods. And I'm talking about non-toxic plants here. So when seeking the root of the issue, we have to look kind of like at your dog as an ecosystem. And I'm working on my book right now that will be out later on this year in 2023. And I'm definitely talking about the dog as ecosystem. And, you know, everything's connected. The body is synergistic. And so are herbs, so are plants. And they're both individuals and they work as a collective as well. And when herbs enter the body, they balance the whole dog, not just kind of like an isolated area. They might have an affinity towards a specific region of the body, but they provide systemic healing. And allopathic thinking is really mainly focused on individual sections of the body that are believed to work as kind of semi-isolated parts within like the context of function. Right now, we're living in very pharmaceutically based um, kind of paradigm and throwing drugs at disease, although it may help keep you alive and definitely uh, drugs are needed and, and I understand that and I respect that, but I think a lot of pharmaceuticals go overboard and they don't heal the body or get to the root of the problem. Like, why is this happening? I realize I can take this drug. Like, let's just take, you know, Crohn's disease and Humira. Okay, so Humira is a drug for Crohn's disease and it can help control Crohn's disease. But if you look at the side effects, it'll scare the shite out of you. I don't know which is better, the Crohn's disease or the side, I'm not sure. But why is the Crohn's disease happening in the first place? How do we get the gut to readjust itself and to heal itself so that Crohn's isn't a problem anymore? And I know a lot of people don't think that Crohn's can be healed. I get that. But I've seen a lot of Crohn's go in remission for years and years and years and not come back out again. Is it healed? I don't know. But is it in remission? I think that's the most important part. So like, how do we get there? Like, we need to heal the body and throwing drugs at disease if they're not if the disease is not life-threatening it drives it deeper into the body through a process of what's called suppression and many times when we suppress symptoms they come back later much worse than they were and this is why we need to look at our ancestors for a larger picture because they were isolated in the way that we can look at disease and don't get me wrong. I love molecular biology and I love knowing the specific constituents, how the specific constituents work in plants. If science can, you know, when they, can they figure that, if they figure that out basically. But modern medicine has really left little room for that larger holistic picture. And looking at our history helps kind of broaden our scope of like how we got here and what kind of happened. I'm not going to go into everything, but 
kind of looking at our modern medical practice versus our traditional herbal practice. One book I love on this subject is, and I highly recommend it, is a book called Vitalism by Matthew Wood. Uh, he's a histor- uh, herbalist historian, and he does a really good job in this book at explaining these um, different types of herbalism, the history of herbalism, the history of homeopathy, and the history of flower essences. So if you're a history buff, I, buff, I, I highly recommend that one. For me, as a holistic canine herbalist, I believe it's important that you explore kind of different facets of Western herbalism as well as know as knowing about homeopathy, what it is, how it works, and at a minimum, get to know the plant-based remedies. A lot of homeopathic remedies use poisonous plants in diluted amounts that are hardly detectable. And that gives us access to using those plants. You can work with a, homeo- a homeopath and kind of get to know these these different types of poisonous plants, like belladonna, which is called ne- deadly nightshade. It can totally be util- utilized within that homeopathic realm. And flower essences are a good addition to any holistic herbalist toolbox. Dr. Edward Bach was the developer of the flower essence system. And moving forward, we've really expanded flower essences and really adapted them to modern day life. And I love flower essences. They add a lot to my practice. But I think every serious herbalist or herbalist, uh, someone who wants to be an herbalist, should check out that vitalism book if you want to learn the history of different, you know, different parts of Western herbalism. Traditional herbalism is focused on patterns in the body and the influence that of basically of one's environment. And the body as an ecosystem has kind of many layers to consider. So unique patterns show us kind of how your dog is going to heal or what's going on with your dog, their energetics, their innate characteristics. And it also helps us pick out herbs based on those patterns and influences of disease or of an imbalance in the body. So in the dog's ecosystem, I I definitely look at relationships with to plants and and I highly recommend getting to know some plants, you know, one a month or two a month, getting to know them intimately and kind of looking at how they express themselves as an individual. And yes, plants can be individual and how your dog expresses themselves as an individual. And then I would go on and try to make that healing connection between the plant, the dog and your dog's condition. One of the facets of herbal history that's interesting and which would probably answer your question, you know, quite well, you know, this is the herbal ramblings of an herbalist whose life has gone to the dog. So sometimes I kind of ramble, which was just a few minutes ago. But one of the men in history, uh, in herbal history, was Claudius Gallen. And he was born in, I think, 128, 129 AD. And he influenced medicine for over 15 centuries. And most people don't even know he existed. But his work has led to many pharmaceutical practices as well as forming kind of like the foundations for modern day research methodology. So clinical trials, different types of double blind studies. Gollin 
did make mistakes, but those that followed him were able to learn just as much from his mistakes as they did his to his successes. And I love mistakes. I think everyone has a right to be wrong, to make a mistake. Sometimes it sucks and sometimes it doesn't have the best outcome, but we all make mistakes. And Gollin really did teach us a lot by his mistakes. He was an educating philosopher and he turned into a doctor in Rome. And he served as a physician to to different emperors in Rome, including Marcus Aurelius. And he died when he was about 87. I think that was in 216. His accomplishments relate to Western herbalism because he performed different types of like anatomical studies on animals, which is totally sad, but um, they were dead. And he helped gain an understanding of anatomy, especially like the venous system and the organ function of the body. And like Hippocrates, who is known as the father of medicine, Gollin believed in what's called the humoral model of medicine. He believed in the balance of what's called elemental humors, which were known as like blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. And we don't use a lot of that language today, of course, unless you are a historian, but They were basically based on the energetic principles of hot, cold, wet, and dry, which any of you who've taken my energetics course know well. Love those. Gollin also believed that there was an emotional component to disease. And what's interesting is that was AD, right, in time. And now it's come kind of like full circle and science is starting to understand the pattern and kind of connection between the emotional state of a person and a dog and an animal and how it can manifest in the physical. So psychosomatic illness. And when you look at Gollin and how he affected everything, it's, you know, I would say that there's some detrimental effects and also some very beneficial effects. He taught of the benefits of a formula versus a simple. And that means like a formula is multiple herbs together versus just one single herb. Um, I like both. Formulas are also called compounds and that formed the foundation of pharmaceutical medicine. I definitely would say that he definitely had a big influence on pharmaceutical medicine. And he was a teaching physician and his followers became like, they called themselves Galenic physicians. And they used nature as a means for balancing the body and used humoral medicine, the hot, cold, wet, and dry, as a means to diagnose and treat their patients. So Galenic physicians, um, because they used nature, they also used diet and stress reduction. The only thing that Galen wanted all of his followers to implement is to really test nature and be really vigilant in what they found in writing it down and going over it over it scientifically. He also wanted them to take a personal approach to their subjects, which I think has really fallen to the wayside with now the 15-minute doctor's appointments that my mom has been getting, um, sometimes 10 minutes when she's waited two months for them. So that's really sad because you're really not getting to know Uh, Doctors aren't getting to know their patients. Now, I'm not saying every doctor is like this, but a lot of them are now because of 
insurance companies and how they dictate how much time you can spend with a patient. The reason why I want you to know about Gallen is that he had he had an enormous influence on modern medicine as well as Western herbalism. And, you know, you can ask yourself the question, was he a plant ally? Was he a holistic teacher? I'm not really sure because it was so long ago. But I experienced him as being, I mean, from what I've read about him throughout history, a very kind of black and white physician and teacher. He didn't believe in a lot of gray area. And over the last 20 years of my experience in clinical practice and uh, in the field, there's a lot of gray area. So I think that was a missing for him. He wasn't a fan of empirical evidence, which is also known as anecdotal evidence. And I think that's a a travesty because in the field and clinical patients feedback on how they're living in their real actual lives and how things are influencing them and how they're using herbs and how they're working with them. How much are they taking, you know, like really working, doing a workup on that and looking at them. We can learn a lot and mixing scientific evidence with empirical evidence, I think is a win-win when we respect each other. I do believe that many systems of holistic medicine can be used together, especially when you look at herbal history. You can sort out and kind of see how the paths of holistic and allopathic herbalism have evolved. And allopathic herbalism is just using plants according to allopathic principles, kind of what is good for this. Well, you know, there can be 10 herbs that are good for arthritis but will they work for your dog? And definitely don't give them all 10. Allopathic herbalism does that. And holistic herbalism looks at the dog as an individual or the person as an individual and gets to know the patient, you know, their experience, their stress levels, what they eat, what their environment is, what their relationships are, what's stressing them out. What do they have a hard time with? Where do they succeed? What's their strengths? So looking at things holistically, and you really can't get down to that in 10 to 15 minutes. Holistic herbalism is definitely based on the premise that herbs have an affinity to multiple patterns in the body. And this would include disease. So they also have an affinity towards different organ systems. And and that's the kind of way that they create synergy in the body. So I think that Gallen, you know, with hot, cold, warm, and dry, which is what's called the law of contraries, you know, if someone is dry, you add herbs that add moisture, like marshmallow root. And if someone has too much moisture, you may add herbs that dry things out. So Gallen really did understand and believe in certain types of energetic medicine, like Uh, people that study traditional Chinese medicine. They definitely deal with a hot, cold, dry, and damp. Traditional Chinese medicine uh, follows what's called the five element theory. And it's a lot like um, dealing with, you know, the elements of of hot, cold, and the moisture element of dry and damp, uh, like I just said. So I think it's important to look at that in history and who are our biggest influencers. You know, Hippocrates is the father of medicine, you know, 
uh, the little symbol that's on like a stethoscope or a medical doctor's credentials. You'll see the little snake going up the pole. He definitely is the father of modern medicine. However, you know, he said a lot of wonderful things that I think holistic medicine embraces, which is it's better to know the patient than the disease. Because he knew that the person has such a huge influence on their health. And I definitely feel this is the same for dogs. So I hope I answered a little bit of what you wanted to know. It was a huge question. Again, if you want to know more about me, you can check out the first episode of the podcast. And, you know, right into the podcast, uh, ask me your questions. I'll answer them here online. It's fascinating. You know, if not, I'll ramble on every uh, session. And, uh, you know, sometimes you might not want that. Sometimes you might want some coherent and concise information. I know that a lot of you are enjoying the podcast. Uh, You've written to me and told me how much you love the podcast. And I'm very happy that you guys are enjoying this. I'm enjoying doing it. I'm having a blast. I couldn't do it without my sponsors, though. So thank realmushrooms.com, which is the second sponsors of a sponsor of these main episodes. Realmushrooms.com. I sell them in my store. I spec them on their website. They have a huge variety of fruiting body mushrooms and chaga. Check them out. They've got a lot of offerings uh, for dogs and humans. A couple of their human products that I've been digging and checking out is, uh, let's see, the Real Clarity, uh, Real Clarity Mushrooms and Herbs. So Real Clarity has mushrooms. They have lion's mane mushroom, and it's mixed with ashwagandha, rhodiola, and bacopa. And this, this mushroom combination is really good at bringing down the stress response and helping achieve clarity during your day. And this is for humans. You know, yes, this is a dogs or individual podcast, but us dog owners and dog guardians, um, you know, we need to take care of ourselves too. And that's a really good one, the real clarity. Check it out. Um, you'll need to get that at their website, realmushrooms.com. And then they have one more that I think you might be interested in, and that's called Real Rest. And this is another combination mushroom. It's reishi mushroom, lemon balm, and valerian. And that's going to be very soothing and very nice for before bed. And it's going to help you sleep. Now realize that mushrooms and herbs don't, they don't like take an immediate effect. So I would give it about two weeks to see if this remedy is going to help you sleep better and more soundly. It's also going to help support your immune system and give you that kind of like calming stress response. Valerian root, I will say, can have a paradoxical effect. So if you take real rest and feel wired, then it is the valerian root in this formula that's going to make you feel that way. So that, it just wouldn't be for you. And before purchasing Real Rest, you could try like a valerian tincture, a couple drops of that. I would do it in water because valerian is pretty potent and smells like bad socks. Um, But see if it's stimulating. Doing it during the day, if it doesn't make you 
feel kind of groggy or less energetic, it makes you feel more energized, then I probably would not use the real rest formula. But they have some really great formulas for humans and dogs. Check them out, realmushrooms.com. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Dogs Are Individuals podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dogs Are Individuals. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So if you love Dogs Are Individuals podcast, share it with your friends and family who love dogs. This will help me so much. And remember, as a listener, I appreciate you. Much thanks to Resonant Media, my podcast production team. This podcast is produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. Any questions? Email the show. Go to canineherbalist.com, click podcast contact in the menu, and then fill out that form, and I'll answer any questions here online. Okay, so thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dogs Are Individuals podcast, and I'm going to talk to you in our next episode. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for veterinary care. This podcast doesn't constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor, veterinarian, or healthcare provider first before starting anything new, and that includes herbs. I'm not a doctor, and I don't treat disease or prescribe anything. I'm a traditional herbalist providing herbal support education only. Regarding any products I may suggest, the statements made regarding these products have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here on the podcast is not meant as a substitute or alternative to information from your vet. Please consult your veterinary professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product.